Well, good morning. We're glad you guys are here this morning. And last week, or a couple weeks ago actually, we began a brand new series. And that series is called Chris, uh, Cross, sorry, Cradle to the Cross. I'll get it right eventually. It's Cradle to the Cross. And I know you, as we think about the seasons, we think about December, it's really easy. We get so wrapped up in the idea of Christmas, and rightly so, right? I mean, if you think about it, when you think about Christmas, and I know even on a Christmas service, we're going to sing Silent Nights, one of my favorite songs, but yet it, it may, be, may be the most wrong song of Christmas because when Jesus came, it was an interruption, wasn't it? I mean, it was an invasion of light. And the beautiful thing about Christmas and the reason we should celebrate the birth of our Savior is, is because of his name, Emmanuel. At the birth of Jesus, God is with who? Us. He's with us. And so it's so important for us to celebrate Christmas and remember the Christmas story and remember that God initiated a relationship with us by sending his only son to this earth. And the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. What a beautiful story Christmas is. But the reason we've titled this the cradle to the cross is because of where we're at in the gospel of Matthew. So in the Gospel of Matthew, while we think about the, the cradle and we think about the manger, and we think about all that that revolves around, that's wonderful, and we should celebrate that. We should be thinking about that. But I want to remind all of us that the story doesn't end as a baby in the manger. That's not where the story ends. That baby would grow to be a man who would perform many miracles, do amazing teachings as a, with authority that only could come from God because he was God, and did amazing things but from the birth there was always a plan. The cross was always where this thing was going. And so as we think about Christmas this year and we celebrate the birth of our Savior, let us be reminded the cross was, the, the cradle was always headed to the cross. Amen? It's where he was always going. And so a few weeks ago as we launched a series, Elijah reminded us that part of the journey to the cross was a journey filled with betrayal. It was a journey filled with denial, rejection, and humiliation. But it was a journey that Jesus was willing to take because of his love for us. And then last week we focused on the cross. And typically when you think about the cross, you think about the brutality of the cross, the beating, which was definitely one of the most, I mean, we will never know the magnitude of the beating that Jesus took. The Bible says that he was beaten almost beyond recognition. Can you imagine what that looks like? There's no movie you have ever seen has ever adequately depicted the, pay, the payment and the price and the beating that Jesus took for us. Nobody can depict it. Hollywood with CGI and all that, they cannot depict how horrific the beating was. Or we typically talk about the blood that was shed. And that is definitely something we should talk about because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no what? Forgiveness of sin. But last week we looked at the cross and we looked at really some things surrounding the cross that maybe we've never thought of before. We talked about the darkness, how the, in the last three hours, darkness came over the earth. It wasn't eclipse. It wasn't a cloud cover. It was darkness, and that darkness is a reminder of judgment, that in those last three hours, that Jesus himself, the perfect son of God, was taking on the full wrath and the full judgment of God, and there was even a moment when he cried out because his father had turned his back on his son. And at the very end of that three and a half hours of darkness, Jesus cried out, it is finished, meaning the work of salvation is complete. The darkness is a big deal. Then we talked about the veil being torn. And it wasn't torn from bottom to top, it was torn how? From top to bottom, reminding us that there's no way we will ever work hard enough or good enough or long enough to get our access to God. That God is the initiator of the relationship. God sent his son as a baby in a manger and God put his son on a cross to die for our sins. And now the veil, the curtain has been torn and now we have free access to relationship with him. That's good news, amen, isn't it? 
And then we talked about the dead rise. I'm just going to tell you, that's one of those passages that I keep going back to. I'm like, man, I want to hear a sermon series on that one, right? It's like, it's like when he died and the tombs opened up, wow, what a moment. But it was a reminder that in his death and in his resurrection, that Jesus now says that death, hell, and the grave have been defeated. But one last thing we talked about, which may be the greatest miracle of all, was this Roman centurion. A guy based on what he saw, what he heard, and what he experienced, he came to this profound conclusion. Surely, he is the Son of God. And see, for that guy, he was the first Christian convert, was a Gentile Roman centurion who declared that Jesus truly was the Son of God. And so after the, the cross of Christ, as we looked at those things, we basically just asked the question, you know, where do you find yourself in that? Do you find yourself, has the cross changed you like it changed the Roman centurion? And then this week, typically when you get done with the cross, where do you go next? Not a trick question. Where do you go after the cross? You, okay, you're not sure. You go to the resurrection, right? Because he died on the cross and three days later, what happened? He rose from the dead. But we're not going to go to the resurrection today because there's a powerful passage of scripture. And there's really a man that we're going to be introduced to today. And it happens between the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. There's a man that comes on the scene. In fact, this is a man that all four gospel writers talks about him. It's a man that we rarely talk about. We talk about him in passing. But what I want to do today is look at this guy and go, who was he? But most importantly, what difference did the cross make in his life? This man, his name is Joseph of Arimathea. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 27 is where we're going to be for a brief moment. And we're going to look at all four gospel writers and all four of them, what they say about this guy. But in Matthew chapter 27, verse 57, it says this, and when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was the disciple of Jesus. He went to the Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered to him to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb. And with the one he had cut out of the rock. And he rolled the stone to the entrance to the tomb and went away. Now it says, when evening come, a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph. The first thing we learn about Joseph is that he was a wealthy man. He was extraordinarily wealthy. Now we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us how he gained his wealth. We have no idea. We don't know if he inherited that wealth. If somehow in his labor he came across a, deal, a business deal that got him wealthy. We have no idea. But here's what we do know. He was extraordinarily wealthy. How do we know that? Because he had a tomb. Now, in today's world, we don't think about that. We don't think about it. In fact, if I were to ask you, many of you in this room have already bought your plots for when you kick the bucket, right? You've already got your plots laid out. You've probably already got your caskets laid out. You don't want your kids to have to go through anything. I'm just telling you, I want my kids to stress through everything. I'm not, I'm not planning one thing. I want them. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, well, maybe they will. I don't know. That's one of the, I want to make the Vikings funeral. I want to be put on fire and sent out to sea. I don't know. But anyway, I mean, most of you got that stuff planned out. We don't think about that. But in that culture, only the wealthy had a place to rest when they died, a place to be put, a tomb. Only the wealthy. And this was not just any tomb. The Bible tells us this wasn't like a random tomb. I mean, wealthy people had nice tombs, but this was the nicest of the nice. This was the Cadillac, if so to speak, of tombs because it was a tomb that was cut out of rock. Now, just think about today's culture. If you had a, a hillside and you said, hey, I want, I want to create a tomb for myself and I want to cut this out of a rock and I want to cut a big circle out and I want to go in and I want to make some accommodations and I want a place for me to lay to rest there, how expensive do you think that would be? More than you care to pay for, right? 
How long do you think that would take? Forever and a day? Here's a guy who was so wealthy, not only have a tomb, he had a tomb that was cut out of rock. This guy was extraordinarily wealthy. Another thing that we learned about him is found in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 23. Don't turn there. It'll be on the screen. Luke chapter 23 verse 50 says this. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man. The second thing we learn about Joseph this is that he was a man of integrity. He was a man of integrity. There's two phrases here that he uses, two words. It says he was a good man and he was a righteous man. Now, some of you are going are to kind of push back on this, but I want you to follow me. When we talk about being good, I know many of you go, well, Doug, the Bible says there's no one good, no, not one. Amen. You're right. But Luke is recording how people viewed Joseph of Arimathea. They viewed him as a good man. What does that mean? That means he was a man that was dependable. He was somebody that could be counted on. He was somebody that cared for people. I mean, if you think about it today, let's just kind of step out of the, the spiritual mindset for a moment. If you look at people maybe that you know, people you work with, and you say, they're really a good person, what are some characteristics that you mean when you say good? Shout it out. But shout out where I can hear you. What do you mean by that? Honest. They're honest. What else? They're, they're, okay, what else? There you go. What else? Kind. I mean, when we think about someone being good, now, I've known a lot of good people in my life. Now, we also know good doesn't get you to heaven. Amen? We know that. So it's not what we're saying. But the peers, when they saw Joseph, they said, he's a good man. This man is, can be counted on. This man is dependable. This man is faithful. This man is honest. And then they said, he's a righteous man. That word righteous means he's upright. It literally can be translated full of integrity. That's how it could be translated. He was full of integrity. That means that this guy pursued righteousness and justice more than he chose fairness. I know that, that we don't like that, but we all do understand, right? God is not driven by fairness. God is driven by what? Justice, right? This is a guy like God. This is a guy that had that same idea. He was a righteous man. He was an upright man. He was filled full of integrity. He cared more about justice than fairness. In fact, one of my favorite verses, Micah 6, 8 says, this is what the Lord wants from you. Do justice, love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Do justice, do what's right, love mercy, be kind, and walk humbly with your God. That's a lot, sounds a lot like what they would have thought of Joseph of Arimathea. Here's a guy that was not only extraordinarily wealthy, he was a man loaded with integrity. Then Mark chapter 15 tells us a little bit about him in verse 43. It says, Joseph Arimathea, a respected member of the council. Joseph was not only wealthy and loaded with integrity, he was a respected man by his peers. He was respected. Now, think about when, when you respect somebody. You look at them and say, this is a trustworthy person. This is a person whose counsel matters. This is a person that when they speak, we know it's coming from a good place. We know that this guy's agenda is for everybody else. He cares about everybody. It's not a selfish agenda. And so they had great deal of respect. But notice there it says this in verse uh, 43. A respected member of the council who is also himself looking for the kingdom of God. He was a respected member of the council. What council? He was part of what was called the Sanhedrin. There were two primary Jewish ruling bodies of the day. There was the Pharisees and all that group. 
And then there was the Sadducee, I mean, the Sadducees. And part of that, they had the, the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was kind of this overarching council, kind of, and some, some scholars say, even above the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but it was this council, and they were kind of the governing body. They were the political mindset, and they were the judicial council. So if there was any group that truly knew the law and knew the implications of the law, how the law was to be played out, and how people were to be judged and disciplined based on the law, it was the council, the Sanhedrin. He was a part of that. This guy who's wealthy, this guy who's loaded with integrity, he's part of a council who is the political and the judiciary oversight and voice of all of the Jews. So let me just say this way. This dude's pretty smart. This guy knows the law. He knows it better maybe, and he may knows it maybe better than some of the Pharisees and maybe some better than some of the Sadducees. This guy is inundated with what his knowledge is of the law. He's part of the council. And it says here, I love this in verse 43, and it says that he himself was looking for the kingdom of God. Now that's an interesting phrase because it reminds us that he was a Jewish person, just like all the rest of the Jews of the day. He was, yes, part of this council, but at the end of the day, he had one longing for his life, and that's for the kingdom of God to come. Now, sometimes when we read scripture, we look at how the Jewish people treated Jesus, or we looked at the religious leaders, and sometimes we kind of thumb our noses at them, go, you know, what were you guys thinking? But you have to understand that they lived their life in one umbrella. They lived their life with one motivation. It was this. They wanted to see the kingdom of God come. They wanted to see a reign and a rule come where Rome was going to be overthrown, and they wanted to see the glory of God. This guy, Joseph Arimathea, was just like everybody else. He was a respected man among his peers. So all the other rest of the councilmen and the Sanhedrin, even though they disagreed sometimes maybe with him, even though they didn't see things the way maybe Joseph saw things, they respected him. Can I just ask you a question? Just a, just a pause question. Can you live boldly for Christ with a level of integrity and kindness and patience and people who don't follow Jesus still respect you? Can you? Yes. Do we? That's a whole other sermon, right? But can we? Absolutely. These people, and obviously, this guy doesn't agree with the council's decision. We'll find that in a moment. He, they don't, he doesn't agree, but obviously, these people look at him and they had high respect for him. So he's a wealthy man. He's a man loaded with integrity. He's respected by his peers. And then John tells us something we need to know, and it's John chapter 19, verse 38. It says, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a what? Say it with me. He was a what? Disciple of Jesus. But secretly for fear of the Jews. So the last thing we find out about Joseph is this. Not only was he wealthy, not only was he loaded with integrity, not only was he respected, he was a disciple of Jesus. Now just real quickly, just think about that for a moment. Everything you think you understand about Jewish culture, was this okay with the Jewish people? Would this have been okay with the Pharisees, the Sadducees? Would this have been okay with the rest of the Sanhedrin council that Joseph of Arimathea, a respected man with loaded with integrity, of great wealth, that he was a disciple of Jesus? Would that have been okay with them? Absolutely not. But he was. Now I love it what it says there, but secretly for the fear of the Jews. See, what we learn is that he was a disciple of Jesus, but he was a disciple in secret. Meaning his faith about Jesus was not public. 
but it was secret. He was basically an admirer of Jesus from a distance who believed, trusted, and even followed it, but he was from a distance. He was an admirer from a distance rather than someone who was all in following his master. But scripture tells us why he was secret. Remember why? For fear of the Jews. He probably feared several things. Maybe one thing he feared was what would it cost him? Here am I, a wealthy, respected, full of character man, sitting on a council that makes all kinds of decisions for all of the Israelites, all the Jewish people, for all the nation of Israel. I make all these decisions. I have all this authority and all this power. And if I let them know that I'm truly, truly a follower of Christ, what's it going to cost me? What's it going to cost me to follow him? Or what will they say if they know I follow him? What will they say about me? See, what we've learned about Joseph, before we move on, I don't want you to miss this. Here's what we learned. He was wealthy, respected, full of integrity, and a disciple of Jesus. But here's what we mainly learned. You ready? He was weak in his public identifying with Jesus. He was a great man. I mean, you look at him, on, if you had a resume of Joseph Arimathea, you would have said, that's the kid guy I want teaching my kids in small group. You would have said, that's the guy I want to go and be part of. That's the guy I want to hang out with. I want to learn from him. I want to know more about him. I want to be around that guy. But what we have to understand about Joseph was this, is while he was great in a lot of areas, what we conclude is this, that he was weak in identifying publicly with Jesus. See, before the cross happened, here's a guy who sits on a council, loaded with integrity, respected, wealthy, who's admiring and following Jesus from a distance. He's doing it in secret. He is weak in his public identifying with Jesus. Now, just a real quick question for you. Are you weak and you're public identifying with Jesus? And here's what I mean. I'm not talking about do you wear your Christian t-shirt to work every day. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you take your Bible when someone says something and you hear you catch them in a lie. You go, Revelation, Revelation 28, 28. Lives go to hell. Lives go to hell. Burn, burn, burn. That's not what I'm talking about. That's my wife's favorite song, by the way. Not because she's a liar. She just likes to sing it. What I'm talking about is this. When God conversations come up, are you forthcoming and that you're a disciple of Jesus? When people talk about scenarios or marriages or relationships, Are you quick to jump in there and say, you know, I know you're hurting here, but there's somebody I know that can help you with that pain. See, if you were to look at his resume, what you would find out, if we could take the word secretly out, you would say that is a true follower of Jesus. I mean, this guy has got it all. He's he's achieved so much like like Joseph of the Old Testament, like Daniel in the Old Testament. He has achieved so much and he's so passionate about his following. But we find out is he's not. He's secretly following Jesus. He was strong in so many areas, but he was weak and publicly identifying with the Lord. What say you? Where do you find yourself this morning? Well, Doug, we don't talk about that stuff at work. Well, maybe you should. Well, we don't talk about that stuff in the home. You definitely should. And I'm just asking you, I'm not judging you because we all wrestle with it. But I'm just asking you, when if I were to go into your workplace and talk to your coworkers, the person in the cubicle beside you, across from you, if I were to talk to your employers or your employees, and I were to have conversations with them, would they say, man, you know, there's a lot of things I could say about this person, but the one thing I will say is they truly love and follow Jesus. Would they say that about you? They would not have said that about Joseph. Before the cross, he was a disciple in secret. 
And so that leads me to the second question I want us to think about is, what difference did the cross make in the life of Joseph Arimathea? If you have your Bibles, I want you to permanently now flip to Mark chapter 15, because that's where we're going to find our answer. Mark chapter 15, verse 43 through 45 And it says this, Joseph Arimathea, respected member of the council, who is also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage. And he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was dead. And when he learned the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Now listen, what difference did the cross make in the life of Joseph Arimathea? First of all, this, it gave him courage to overcome his fears. It said he took what? Courage. You know what that could be translated as? He took a stand. There's a moment here after the death of Jesus when, when Joseph Arimathea began to probably to contemplate the magnitude of the love of Christ who died on the cross. His response was he took courage. He took a stand. He said it's no longer okay for me to be silent anymore. I'm going to publicly and loudly identify with Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. He took courage. Let's say it together. He took courage. He took a stand. He said, no more am I going to be silent. And if you really think about it, <coughs> Joseph Arimathea is kind of the polar opposite of Peter. See, Peter was always loud in his faith, wasn't he? But when it came to the cross, he was a coward. Here's a guy who's in secret, but because of the cross, he's loaded with courage now. Are you with me this morning? Say amen. Amen. I'm just telling you, something in the life of Joseph switched. Something about the cross of Christ, something he experienced and the love and the magnitude of what something changed for him and he went from being this weak, shallow, secretive disciple to one that was filled full of courage. And he went and he asked for the body of Jesus. Now, the fact that he asked for the body of Jesus is kind of a picture that that's his way of declaring his faith. He's wanting everyone involved to know that I identify with him, that I'm a follower of him, that I love him. See, him asking for the body of Jesus was his way of declaring his faith. Now, if you think about it, and you may know this, you may not know this, in that day and time when criminals were crucified, they were thrown into a hole and they were burned. Now, I know what you're thinking. Jesus wasn't a criminal, but he was crucified as a criminal, wasn't he? He was judged, condemned, and crucified. So his fate would have been the fate of every other criminal. They would have been taken off the cross, dragged to a hole nearby Golgotha, and thrown into the hole, and all the bodies would have been burned. And so the request that Joseph makes is a very uncommon request. It's a request. He's saying, I want the body of a criminal by your standards And I want to give him the burial of royalty. I want to give him the burial that's only fit for a king. I'll take the body. I've got a place for him. A place where the king will be laid to rest. Do you think that was an act of faith on his part? And you better believe it. But it wasn't just an act of faith on his part to ask for the body. It was also a reminder that he's no longer driven by fear. 
He no longer cares what people think. Because the cross of Christ and because of what happened there, things have switched for him. He totally is not loaded with being secret and, and quiet. He's now all about courage. He doesn't care what people think anymore. He understands this, and I hope we understand this. To truly follow Jesus, to truly be the disciple that he calls us to be, we must publicly identify with Jesus. Are you with me on that this morning? If we're going to be the disciple that we've been called to be, if we're going to be the light of the world that Jesus totally was, we must publicly identify with Jesus. It's not okay to be in secret. It's not okay to be quiet about it. We must publicly identify with Jesus if we're going to be the light that he's called us to be. And this guy, Joseph, understood that. So what difference did it make in the life of Joseph? First of all, it gave him the courage to stand. And secondly... Look with me in verse 46. So we find the second thing. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in the tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And what else did it do for Joseph? It didn't just give him courage to overcome his fear. It gave him boldness to show his faith. It gave him boldness to show his faith. I want you to picture this with me for a minute. Are you, do you remember who he is? A member of the Sanhedrin. The political and judiciary body of the Jewish system. Wealthy. Integrity. Respected. And now something shifted for him. This cross of Christ has turned him into somebody loaded with courage. And now he's got this unbelievable boldness. And what does it say he does? He goes and he buys a shroud. And he goes and he carries the body of Jesus to the tomb. In fact, if you were to look at John's gospel, don't do it right now. But John tells us that it's not just this guy. It's also Nicodemus. If both of these guys come together. Nicodemus brings about 70 pounds worth of things to, to, to seal and to scent the body of Jesus. And they do this to Jesus and they wrap him. And here's two guys, Nicodemus and this Joseph Arimathea, a, re, a religious leader in Nicodemus who was a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin council. And they're carrying the body of Jesus to put him into the tomb. Now I have a little bit of speculation here. You ready? I'm just thinking. If he still wanted to remain secret in his faith, couldn't he have just sent servants to do that? Couldn't he have went and asked for the body? And they said, yes, and it's okay. My servants, I want you to get the body. You hide in there. That way, if anybody asks me, I can just pawn it off and go, well, that poor Jewish carpenter, that poor family, I feel like I had to do something for them. But that's not what he did. He got his hands dirty. He went after he was a grant of the body, and he and Nicodemus went to the cross, took him off the cross, and they, they prepared his body, and they wrapped it, and they carried the body all the way to the tomb. Now just think about it for a moment. Golgotha was about 100 yards away from the garden tomb. They took a body and they picked it up and these two men are carrying this body to the tomb for everybody to see. A Jewish Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin. This is a problem, isn't it, right? And they're carrying this body for everybody to see. Can you imagine what the rumor mill must have said? If they had Facebook back in the day, wow. Can you imagine how viral that would have gone? Can you imagine the peers of, of Joseph and Nicodemus going, what do these guys think they're doing? Can you imagine people looking at them and going, you know what? I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean this Jewish leader now all of a sudden loves Jesus? What if people shouted out, you traitor? But guess what? Joseph did not care. 
He decided he no longer cared what it cost him to follow Jesus. It no longer mattered to him. You know, if you think about it, because of what he had done, he could have been stripped of his position. He could have been outcasted by his, his, his colleagues. He could have lost his money, his power, and his prestige. But Joseph simply didn't care anymore. Now, why is this a big point for us today? You ready? Because I'm just going to tell you this, and I want you to hear this with love. It still costs us something to follow Jesus. And if it's not costing us something, maybe we're not following as passionately as we think we are. And that hurts a little bit, doesn't it? But the truth of the matter is this. Here's a guy who is elite, who's the who's who of the Jewish culture, and he and Nicodemus are carrying this body for everybody to, see, everybody to ridicule, everybody to make their assumptions about them. But this Joseph and Nicodemus simply did not care what anybody thought anymore because they knew that if we're going to be the disciple he's called us to be, we must publicly identify. And by carrying the body to the tomb, they were saying, we belong to him. We identify with him. And can you say the same thing about yourself? Can we say the same things about ourselves? Following Jesus still costs us something. Amen? Luke 9.23 says this, If anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me daily. See, for Joseph here, he moved from admiring Jesus from a distance to totally all in following Jesus. He now went from a secret, kind of quiet approach to being a disciple to now he's a disciple loaded with courage and boldness. When you think about how did the cross impact Joseph, listen, it changed everything for Joseph. Before the cross, secret. After the cross, a man loaded with courage and boldness. The cross of Christ changed everything for him. And what he did now is viewed as an act of bravery that he was willing to sacrifice everything he had just to follow Jesus. It was viewed as an act of sacrifice that he would give up his own personal tomb so that he could give a proper burial to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It was viewed as an act of love, a love like he had never demonstrated before, but a love that he showed Jesus on that day. And it was an act of devotion saying, I identify with this man. It changed everything for him. The cross of Christ changed everything for Joseph. And my question for us today is, what about us? Has it changed everything for us? See, here's what I believe. There's maybe many of you in the room today, and you are a follower of Jesus. You're a believer. You're a disciple. But you're kind of doing it incognito. You're kind of doing it secretly. You're kind of more admiring him from a distance than you are publicly, passionately, following him. Or maybe there's some of you here today and you're a follower of Jesus and you'd be honest enough to say this, say, you know what? I'm afraid. I'm afraid of my co-workers. I'm afraid of my spouse, my parents, my friends. I'm afraid of what they might say. I'm afraid if I really claim to know Christ, what I might lose. Several weeks ago, I was speaking at ESL, which is English as a second language. That happens in Oviedo campus every Wednesday. And they asked me to speak. And, you know, of course, there's like 120 people there. And there's like all different languages. So they say, they say something to me that's very, very difficult. They say, you've got to talk slow. Well, that hurts me because my brain is way faster than my mouth is. And if you think that's fast, my brain's faster. Than that. So I'm like having to slow down. And so we're talking and we're talking and we're talking. And, we, and I talked about what was the greatest moment in your life. That was talking about moments that day. And we went through it, and after we got done, this one lady came up to me. She said, I'm from Iran, 
And I told you my greatest moments when I came to America. She said, but I had to say that in case anybody heard me. But I want to tell you personally what the greatest moment of my life was. The greatest moment of my life is when I gave my life to Jesus. But my family can't know that. And I'm afraid if they find out that if I ever go back, they're going to kill me. And I asked this question. This was crazy. You want to talk about courage and boldness? I don't think we know what courage and boldness is. This lady knew what courage and boldness was. I said, well, have you ever been back? She said, I have. And I brought 30 people back with me. And they've all given their life to Christ too. I'm like, you're a modern day Harriet Tubman. I mean, this lady, I mean, she's like going back and getting people and getting them saved. And bring, I mean, this lady gets courage and she gets boldness. And maybe some of you there today are saying, I'm following Jesus, but Doug, I'm just afraid. I am afraid of what people are going to say. I'm afraid of what it's going to cost me. And my prayer for those of us that fit in those categories is this, is that we would let the cross of Christ give us courage this morning. Let it give us boldness to be brave and to follow him no matter what people think. Let it give us the courage and boldness to totally be devoted to him. Put aside your fears. Put aside what people may say and fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And for those of us that are believers that are scared, for those who are believers that are admiring instead of following, that's the commitment I hope you make today. So I have three challenges. Here's the first one. Believers. Let the cross give you the courage and boldness you need moving forward. Don't stand in your fear. Don't allow <coughs> the things that, 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 that kind of cripple you keep crippling you. <coughs> Don't stand in that fear and go, what do people think? Guess what? The only person that matters is what he thinks. The Apostle Paul said this way, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's how we need to live our lives. We are not ashamed of Christ. With what he did for us, how dare we be ashamed of him? And if you're a believer today, my prayer for you is, and my challenge is just simply this, is that you would ask God, if I struggle in my courage, if I struggle in my boldness, in my workplace, with my family, if I struggle being publicly identifying with you, would you give me the courage and would you give me the boldness to do that this week? Not next week, this week. Let's make it even better. Tomorrow. Would you give me that? How about today? There you go. How about today? Would you give me the courage and boldness I need? And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, listen, there was a day for Joseph of Arimathea, he was just a member of the Sanhedrin. And then there was a day that something changed for him. We don't know when that day was, but there was a day he started following and saying, yes, I belong to Jesus. And after the cross, he was bold and courageous in that. Maybe that needs to be your story today. Maybe you've come in and you're speculating and you're skeptical and you're seeking. And I'm just asking you, would you just give Jesus a shot? Would you just surrender your life to him today? Say, you know what, Lord? I look at all these people across this room and they seem to have joy that I long for and don't have. They seem to have peace that I can't explain. And so, Lord, I'm going to give you a shot because I'm seeking, I'm searching, and today I surrender my life to you. Today I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I know that I've rebelled against you, but I ask you to take over my life, to be the boss and the master. And if you'll do that, you will then have the hope of heaven. And then there's one more last category of person I have a challenge for. And you're what I call the, would call maybe the fence riders. You're the ones that are deeply struggling today. You're deeply struggling with fear. You're deeply struggling with admiring versus following. And I'm just asking you, would you just be honest with God today? Don't try to mask it. He already knows your heart. Amen? He already knows your heart. And just simply say, Lord, I am afraid. Give me courage. Give me boldness. Lord, I've been admiring from a distance. Help me follow up close. 
And so my challenge is simply this, is that for those of us that are believers, that God would give us courage. That God would give us boldness. I don't know about you, but when I read the, gospel, the, the book of Acts, I see over and over and over again stories where people stood up in boldness for their faith. And we look at the book of Acts and we go, wow, what a story, right? What a story when Paul stood up in the Areopagus and he started saying, that God, you worship is unknown. Let me proclaim him to you. And Paul begins to share the gospel. Wow, what a story. Well, why does that story have to end? Why can't that be your story? Why can't that be my story? Why can't that be our story? Why can't we be the light that stands up publicly and says, I identify with Jesus. I follow Jesus. I belong to Jesus. To do it takes courage and takes boldness. And I pray that God would give us that today. And if you don't know him, I pray today that you would surrender your life to him. So right now I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me if you would. Everybody stand. Everybody stand, every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment. If you're that person today that you've never trusted Christ, I'm just going to ask you, What's holding you back? What's holding you back? And if you've got questions, if you've got doubts, you've got concerns, I would love to talk to you about it. But the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. You're not guaranteed the next breath. So I'm going to ask you to let go of whatever's holding you back. And today, would you sooner end your life to Christ? And if you do that, if you admit that you're a sinner and you, and you ask Jesus to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, and you surrender to him, I would love you to take that welcome card and just in a minute, write that down, put it in the offering basket in a few moments so that I can contact you and encourage you. And if you're a believer in the room today, I'm just going to tell you the altar's open if you need it. If you're struggling, if you look at your life, which Joseph are you more like? Are you more like the Joseph before the cross? A Joseph that is in secret, incognito, quietly following Jesus? Are you like the Joseph after the cross? One that's filled with courage and boldness. If you lack that, would you ask God to give it to you? My Bible still tells me that when I lack wisdom, I know a God that will give it to me generously. When I lack courage, I know a God that will give it to me generously. When I lack boldness, I know a God that will give it to me generously. And if you're struggling today, this altar's open. Maybe you need to do business right where you stand. But whatever you do as a believer or non-believer, would you make a decision today about how you respond to the Word of God? Father, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for your Word. I thank you that today we're able to, to pick out a guy in Scripture that for many, that seems so insignificant. But God, as I read his story, I remind this guy had it together. This guy was faithful. He was trustworthy. But even in all that, he was still secretive. Not that he was ashamed of you, but he was driven by fear. And God, there's so many of us in the room today that allow our lives to be driven by fear in the relationships we have. We don't want to publicly identify with you because we're afraid what people will say. We're afraid what it will cost us. And God, with everything in me today, I'm praying for a room filled with people that claim you and love you, that we would say, Lord, give me boldness. Lord, give me courage. Because I can't muster it up on my own. I need only what you can give me from your throne. And God, may we be a group of believers today that your Holy Spirit would fall fresh on us. And you would give us the courage and the boldness to be the salt and light that you've called us to be. May we leave this place today. And everywhere we go, may we not be, may we not be ashamed to publicly identify with Jesus. Lord, be with us today. Move in our hearts today. Where there's arrogance, break us. Where there's struggling, wreck us. 
And when there, where there's a heart that is soft, would you mold us and change us? God, we give this moment to you. May you move among us only as you can. For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. I want to ask you to do this. Would you just be faithful to respond as the Lord leads you? Maybe it's right where you sit. Maybe you need to come to the altar. But wherever you find yourself, from this side of the room to that side of the room, this word had a word for you today. Something you needed to hear. Something I needed to hear. The question is, will we be faithful to respond? May you respond as as the Lord leads you.